We're going to be uh, continuing in our study through the book of Exodus, so you can turn there. It's Exodus chapter 18 this morning is what we're going to be looking at. And the title of the study is Share the Workload. <clears throat> so Moses has led by the power and the hand of the Lord uh, approximately 2 million Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt. And God has preserved them in many different ways. He's preserved them against slavery, of course, preserved them against the Egyptian army, preserved them twice from uh, thirst, uh, has preserved them from hunger. And here we're going to see that they're going to preserve Moses from burnout and the congregation from chaos. So we're going to be looking at all of chapter 18 this morning. And let's go ahead and turn there. We'll begin reading at verse 1 and take it down to verse 7. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. And he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife uh, to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now as he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. So Moses is reunited with his family at some point in time, as we see there in verse 13, he had, uh, uh, verse 13, verse 2, um, he had sent his wife back to uh, Midian to be with her father um, and the two sons with them. So uh, at, at some point, we don't know exactly when that was, but maybe as it was getting chaotic back in Egypt and the plagues were continuing on and saw that this was going to be a little more difficult, uh, what he ends up doing is sending his wife um, back. It could have been a later time too. We, we don't know exactly when, but she sent there. Now, the thing that I want to just briefly address is that um, when we read, had sent her back, this can also be in some places translated divorce, which has caused some to say Moses had divorced his wife. Okay, no, it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, um, Jethro actually says otherwise, um, and she is referred to as the wife of Moses in this account. I just think it was a difficult situation, and Moses felt like for me to lead and guide, it's going to be better for the family if you're not right in the middle of all of this. And so he had sent him away. And they had what would seem like an agreed-upon rendezvous spot um, near Rephidim, and they would come and join them up there, and this is exactly what takes place. I would imagine that if Jethro was unhappy, uh, or excuse me, Moses had divorced his wife, that Jethro coming, as we're going to see, he's going to give them advice about how to minister to the congregation of Israel. I imagine his advice might have sounded different, don't you think? 
I think dad and his daughter that had been sent away and put out, I think he would have had other things to discuss with him other than how to have a successful ministry. I know that if it was my uh, daughter that happened to, that would be the conversation. And so um, I just think it's a, it's, you know what this is? This is scholars who have too much time on their hands. This is what that is. That's all. That's, that's the problem. Um, so it, it, this was a practical thing. And so it does raise a question as we read, why weren't they together? And I just, it was a, it was a chaotic time. And so it was easier for Moses to lead having them in that location. And so they, they come together and um, they're reunited. We get a little information. Gershom means a foreigner in a foreign land, a stranger in a foreign land. And that describes Moses' first half of his life. Um, and then you have Eleazar, his other son, which means helper. And that really describes the second half of his life. How we saw God help him carry out the ministry that the Lord had called him to. Let's read verses 8 through 12. Um, and Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel. And he, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord. And again, when you see all capital letters for Lord, it is a reference to the covenant name of God, which is... We think the best way to pronounce it is Yahweh. So this is not just a reference to like uh, master here, whereas in other places where you would see Lord and it's not all capitalized, that's more of a reference to that title like a master, whereas this is the, the name of God, our God. And so he says, Jethro says, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law before God. <clears throat> Verse 8. They come into the tent. They sit down. And the conversation immediately goes to what God has done. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what the Lord did. I, it would seem like they had some idea. So, you know, Zipporah, you know, was there with them at some point for a length of time. We don't know how long. So maybe she's bringing back the report. Maybe there's another way in which information is being communicated and is being uh, brought back to home. But Moses gives him all the details. And what Jethro says is, now I know that Yahweh is, is the one. And, and so the question here is, Jethro, the priest of some idolatrous uh, worship system, or is Jethro a priest more like in the line of Melchizedek, <coughs> who was a high priest of God there in Jerusalem? We can't say definitively, but those are the two, two options. And some will say this was his conversion moment. Uh, maybe it was. Others would say, no, um, this is just him saying, wow, I, this is really confirmed. Does it really understand now? who uh, Yahweh is. So, you know, you can kind of work that out on your own. It's not 
critical to the story. It's critical to Jethro. But um, in the account that we have here, we, we don't have this. But what I want us to see is, is that the family, when they got together, they talked about God. It's a real simple point. It's almost, it's almost like you can even miss it as you read this story here. But that's what's going on in the tent. That's what's going on at their table. They're talking about the ways and the works of God. And I just want to give a strong, loving exhortation to say that needs to be going on in all of our houses. All of our houses. There needs to be the conversation of the Lord. It needs to be when we sit down at the table or we're driving down the road, right? As we read so often from Deuteronomy when we dedicate the, the children. When you're walking in the way, when you're coming out, when you're going down, when you're rising up, when you're laying down, which is another way of saying all the time. We need to be talking about the ways of the Lord and remembering the works of the Lord. It's like, wow, yeah, but they had a great story to talk about. Red Sea, plagues, hailstones. That's true. Don't want to take away from the miraculous work of God that they had seen and the opportunity to explain it. I mean, it would have been a fun conversation to be part of. However, you have gone from darkness into light. You have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. You were once going to be, as all of us were, People that were going to be separated from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. And now as those who put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are going to sit on a throne with Jesus and rule and reign with him. We've got a story to tell as well. We are co-inheritors with Christ. I'm not making that up. If it wasn't in the Bible, it would sound very blasphemous to say a lot of the things I just said. But you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You were an enemy and now you're a son or a daughter of the Lord. We have something to share. We have something to say. So yeah, we can have a conversation at the table too. And I realize that for a lot of you, it's like, yeah, that's happening. That's, that's going on. That's great. Make sure it continues on. Why don't you make sure and encourage other families to do the same or other uh, roommates to do the same? But I do realize that for some of you, the conversation about the things of the Lord, have, it just feels awkward to you. You know, it just, it, you know it shouldn't, but it does. And it's because you've not been talking about the Lord. I, and this is what I want to encourage you to do is get over the awkwardness. Here, I'll give you a two-week plan to get over awkwardness. You ready? Every day for the next two weeks, at, you know, multiple times a day, talk about what God's doing. In week three, it's not going to feel awkward anymore. And you'll be over the hump, and now you can just do it for the rest of your life. There, you're welcome. That, I mean, that's, that's just, it's, that's, it's easy to do. You just got to, you got to be willing to engage. Well, I don't, you know, I don't even know what to talk about. Well, okay, that's another conversation. You need to start having a quiet time, but let's at least start with what you do have. You have at least this morning's message, Wednesday night's message. You have what you've seen God do in the past in your life. You have the opportunity to ask the other person, you know, what's going on? What's your quiet time? You've got to start doing this. This is what needs to be happening in all of our tents. as talking about the works and the ways of God. So that we might be encouraged, so we might be focused. And so I just, I challenge you to do this. Now, I could give this exhortation to the men just as easily as I can to the ladies, but I want to give it to the ladies because I hear this more from the ladies than I do the men. And they're wanting their husbands to lead. 
They're wanting their husbands to have a conversation about God in the house. So ladies, if your husband says today, well, what do you think of the message? Don't rebuke him. Oh, I see how it is. I ask you to talk about the Lord and there's nothing. And then Pastor Troy brings it up and now you're going to do it. I Don't do that. You've been praying for it. You've been asking for it. It doesn't matter how it comes in. If it's coming into your house, celebrate it. Embrace it. Thank the Lord for it. Affirm him in that conversation. And let this become the pattern of what happens around your table. So so, such an important thing. Such an important thing. And, um, you know, this is one of the reasons why... you know, in the Warner household, and it's hard. You know, we did our very best to, um, to have meals together so that we could all sit down and talk about the things of the Lord. And, um, you know, it gets, it's hard. It's hard when they're little because they're squirming and fighting and doing all kinds of things. And then it's hard when they're teenagers because they're busy. So the point is, it's hard. <laughs> um, so you're just going to have to decide this is what we're going to do. And um, if that is not a, the practical outworking of this for you, then you find out what does work. But we've got to be talking about the Lord in our homes. It's one of the most basic things of a Christian family that we should be doing. So um, to get together, he worships the Lord. He says, wow, look at what your God has done. Amazing. Now we move on into verse 13 through 18. And uh, Moses is going to go right back to the work. Let's read this together. And we're going to see that Jethro helps Moses avoid burnout. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit? Do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said, you're crazy, man. The thing that you are doing is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you are not able to perform it by yourself. I mean, it's very clear. A very not hard to understand conversation. Uh, Jethro is not very nuanced, right? He's just like, this is a terrible plan, <laughs> Moses. You're, you're going to burn out. You're going to wear out. This is not going to happen. The Hebrew word here for wear out means to, it can also be translated to wither. Think of a desert flower. And it can look great when it first comes up, but how long is it going to last? Well, let me tell you, desert flowers don't last very long. They, 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 they'll, they'll shrivel. Or think of your lawn come August, right? I mean, the way it looks. It looks great now, but August... It's going to wither. It's going to, another way to translate this is, to be futile. It's futile what you're doing. When we look at still verse 18, and he says, this thing that you're doing is uh, too much. Too much here. Um, it, It has the idea of it being grievous or heavy. It's just, you cannot 
carry that kind of load. That's what he's saying. Something needs to be done, but you can't carry that kind of load. That's not, that's not sustainable. And here in the Hebrew, um, the way that it could be uh, translated, we read, you're, you're going to wear yourself out. But it's emphatic and can actually be translated, you will surely wear yourself out. This isn't the idea that, you know what, as I observe what's going on, I'm not sure, but I think you're probably going to have a hard time sustaining this. Pray and seek the Lord. No, he doesn't do that. He says, um, this is a terrible idea. You're going to completely wear yourself out. Go talk to the Lord about it. That, that's how uh, Jethro um, speaks. You've got to love people that are just clear, huh? Especially when you know that they have your back and they love you and they speak to you. Um, still there in verse 18, just a little more on the, on the Hebrew here. Um, it says you're not able to perform, to perform. And the idea of perform here is an activity with the distinct purpose or moral obligation or a goal in view. And there was a moral obligation that the people could do the right thing in their crisis. There was a great goal in view. And that is that they would know the word of the Lord in their conflicts and in their, their questions. That there would be somebody to give them guidance and direction. That, so they needed to be performed. That goal needed to be reached. But it wasn't going to be reached if they were doing it in the way that he was. Does this remind you of any other scene in the Bible? I imagine some of you are thinking about Acts chapter 6. When the Hellenistic widows are complaining because the Hebrew widows are getting a larger allotment of daily distribution of food. The church had grown. These people had come in. Uh, maybe they had even been... Uh, you know, rejected from their families because of their faith. Who's going to take care of the widows now? And so it became the church. The Hebrew widows are those that spoke uh, Hebrew. They dressed like Hebrews. They looked like Hebrews. Um, they were Israelites. The Hellenistic were Israelite women as well, that, and they're both believers at this point in Jesus, but the Hellenistic maybe didn't speak Hebrew and they didn't dress like Hebrews, and so they had that kind of Greek cultural, not religion, but just cultural impact upon their life. And so when it came time for the daily allotment of food, they, the Hellenistic, felt like they were being neglected and probably because, you know, well, we, we don't speak the language, we don't look like this, and so we're being considered second-class citizens. They come to Peter and lay the problem out to him. He says, listen, it's not good that we should leave the word in prayer. Um, so find some good men that you can appoint over these matters and let them do that. You might want to go read Acts chapter 6 again and find out that whole story. But the point is this. There comes time, there come time in, you know, in your own life and maybe in a ministry's life where what you were doing before because of the growth or because of the weight, you've got to change how you're approaching getting that good work done. And that is the moment that happened right here. And I would say that any ministry that continues on, whether you've had your hands in that ministry for a long time, and if you're being faithful to it, or whether it's a ministry in general, probably, most likely, there's going to come the time where you've got to change. You've got to, you've got to spread out the work. You have to share the load. And so he's going to give him here in just a moment, verses 19 through 27, but we're, I've got a couple more points to make. He's going to give him advice on how to 
uh, solve the problem. All he said is, this is a terrible thing that you're doing. It is not going to solve the problem. So he's going to give an answer to the wear out or to the burnout. And um, in, in short, he's going to say, divide the labor. We hear a lot about burnout in ministry. Um, over the last couple of years, you can read the statistics. There's been all kinds of pastors that have burned out and have stepped out of ministry. Um, it's not anything new, but over the last couple of years, it, the, the numbers were even greater. Um, burnout, wear out, the same kind of idea. And, and so what do we, is this real? I mean, is it true that if you do the things of the Lord and um, for his glory and his honor for the people of God, that you actually will wear out and burn out? Well, I've been in full-time ministry for 34 years now, and let me tell you, I've never burned out and I've never worn out, but I definitely have been tired out and I have definitely been poured out. And so I think the balance here is this. We don't want to burn out and we don't want to wear out because we're doing too much. We're sitting by ourselves and we're trying to do it all by ourselves. But we, nor do we try to achieve the goal of never being tired out and never being poured out. And there's the tension, right? How do you, how do, you do this? Well, I think you, you do it by meeting with Jesus like every day. You, you hear his voice and you hear what he has to say. I said, there, there have been times I've been, so many times I've been tired out. And, um, and, and worn out. There are times where I thought I was headed towards maybe burnout. And I'll give you what I think the solution is in just a moment. But I can remember in the early days when we had have construction projects. And I think that we've had six. We actually are doing construction right now. In the next couple of weeks, we'll tell you about another plan we have. So there's probably been seven or eight different building projects. Um, I was involved in every one of them on every level except for this last one when we moved in here. Um, all the other ones, you know, yeah, I was painting, I was, you know, tearing things down, whatever. Well, I can remember Rebecca and myself were, um, we were kind of laughing about this a couple of weeks ago. And there was uh, one time we came home, it was Saturday night, and we're trying to get it ready for Sunday morning. And I came in at like 1230 at night. Um, and had to be back at the church in just a few hours and been there. Maybe it, was, it was crunch time trying to get it done. And I remember walking in the house and just sitting on the stairs. I didn't even, it was split for your home. I didn't even make it to the upstairs. I was just too tired. And I was just sitting there and she's like, honey, are you right? I'm like, I can't even walk up these stairs. I'm just so tired. And um, she goes, are you ready for tomorrow? No, <laughs> I am not ready for tomorrow. Um, I will go to bed now and I'll wake up and um, the Lord is going to just, if he loves his people, he's going to have to be gracious and give me something because I, I have not been lazy. I've not been anything. I just, this is the wake. And you know, there are those times where you just, you're just tired out. You just pour yourself out because it's what needs to be done. Um, and so we have to be mindful of that. So this is what Paul talked about in Philippians 2.17. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Poured out. Oh, he was like, you know, uh, spending a lot of time laboring. No, he, when he says poured out, he's referring to a way of saying, my head is about to be chopped out and my blood is, supposed to be, is about to be poured out. Like taking a, a, you know, a drink offering of wine and pouring that out. Same color. This is a, I'm a, I may die. I'm in jail and they may chop my head off. But if they chop my head out and I drained of all that I have, you know what? I'm glad that I've done it for you. 
So this is interesting because I think we, our, our solution is, oh, I'm feeling tired out. That's like burnout. Therefore, I need to stop. No, I, I disagree with that. There are two different things. We should be poured out. We should be tired out in serving the Lord. I mean, not like to the point of exhaustion I just described, but this should be a common thing for us. Jesus said, I did not come to seek and to save my life. I came to give my life a ransom for many. If you try and save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life away, you're going to find it. So it isn't simply uh, do less. That's not, or do nothing. And so if, the, if you are saying in your mind, I'm really going to challenge you in this. If you're saying in your mind, I don't want to burn out, so therefore I won't do anything, that is wrong. That's not the solution. That's not what the Bible says. And I, I, just, I just want to really challenge you in that. Now listen, I don't expect anybody to be spending as much time in the ministry as those of us that are full-time. I, I, that's not the goal. That's not the standard. You're going to have to figure that out with your schedule. You're going to have to hear what the Lord puts on your plate. But just know that what he is going to ask you to do is to pour yourself out. Just know that he's going to ask you to tire yourself out at times. And so th there is this balance, but not burnout. The burnout is because the model, the approach was just not right. He couldn't sustain that. He needed to delegate. Well, again, we're almost to that point. But one more verse before we get there. Colossians 1.29. I think this is the, the verse that gives us the balance on the whole burnout, you know, versus um, poured out. It says, to this end I also labor. Striving, he uses the word striving. He's striving according to his, the Lord's working, which works in me mightily. So we do those things that God puts in front of us, and they should all, I mean, it's the kingdom of God, which means this none of us are qualified for it. It is all above our pay grade. It is all above our skill set level. That's why we're given spiritual gifts. And that's why we're given the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit, to get the work done. You see what's been going on here? We are not capable in ourselves. Jesus put it this way. Apart from me, you can do what? So we've got to abide in him. We've got to remain in him. And so I strive, I lay myself out, I work hard, but I do it according to the power of the spirit of God who works in me. This is the balance we need to find. And so I find those things that God has called me to do, and I work hard in them, drawing upon the strength of the Lord. And if you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, you probably can burn out. What Moses was doing was not a long-term sustainable program. Um, if you are doing the thing you're supposed to be doing, but you're doing it in your own strength, you also can burn out. But that's not a reflection of the ministry task that you've been given. That's a reflection upon you and me not drawing properly from the strength of the Lord. So this is, this is the important thing that we have to be mindful of. I will say this, though. To me, the poured out is the goal. The burnout is something to avoid. But that's not really the problem that the church in America has. You've heard it referred to, and I believe our numbers are better than this, but on average, 20% of the church serves 
and does anything at the church and 80% does not. That, that's been kind of the national average. I don't know if it's changed or not. I hope it's gotten better. I actually believe that the, it's better than that here. But the problem is not being poured out. And the problem is not being burnt out. The problem is rusting out. Is that because of the lack of movement and activity, the gears of, of, the, of the body of Christ seize and they're not doing what they're supposed to uh, To me, that is the, that is the concern. It's the burnout. That is the issue that is for those who um, stop drawing upon the things of the Lord or they've been called into the things they're not supposed to do. But it's the burnout, not doing it. Well, I just don't want to burn out. Well, what are you doing? Nothing. I don't want to burn out. That, that's, that's, that's not a good solution. I honestly would rather stand before the Lord having been burned out than having rusted out. But really, neither of them are what we should be aiming for. We're looking to be poured out and to be poured out in the power that he gives us to get it done. So we labor and we strive according to his working, which works in me mightily. Have you experienced the mighty power of God working through you to accomplish the task? Well, maybe if the answer is no, it's because you've only ever attempted things that you can do on your own. Why don't you try hearing the voice of the Lord and being open to him leading you into things that you're not capable for, that you can't do, that's going to need outside intervention, and then watch the Lord do it. This is really what I, I believe the model is. So what does he say to him? Verses 19 through 27, Jethro gives advice on how to bear the load. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God <clears throat> will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and, they, uh, and the work they must do. Verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. That's the goal, isn't it? Right there. Is that we will, the end of verse 22, for they will bear the burden with you. We all should be bearing the burden together. If you do this thing and God commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Jethro gives advice on how to bear the load. The first thing that he says is, um, you stand before the Lord. Verse 19, stand before God. Hear what he has to say. Receive. Now, as you, if you look ahead and just begin to flip a few pages, you're going to see that he's about to get the law. So if he's spending day and night in front of the people, how is he ever going to receive the law of God? He needs to go stand before the Lord. He needs to go get away and get alone with the Lord so that he can then instruct and teach and do all the other things. Certainly there was a framework and a mindset that was already in place of what was just and what was fair um, just in society and as a community, and he was doing that. But God is about to give them specific answers to 
uh, many of the questions that would have um, you know, been a point of conflict within the congregation. Stand before the Lord. Go and spend time. The next thing that he says there in verse 20 is, you got to teach the people. Instruct them on what God wants. As you receive, pass it on. Give it away. And don't just solve the problem. Back away from the problems and start teaching the people so they can know what to do. I, I think... You know, this is, again, my opinion here. I believe that a, a, a Bible-teaching church is going to have a lot less counseling than a topically-driven church. And here's why. Because you have the Word of God right in front of you, and you're learning how to interact with it as you sit and as you read it. And now you're being told about the specifics, and, and now you're, you're getting the counsel. You're getting the wisdom. And you're learning how to interact with the Word, and you can address these problems. But this was the plan. you got to teach the people what God wants from them, what it is that they should do and they should not do. And, of course, um, they've got to be obedient. You know, when we pass on, we instruct to our kids or to our families, to our friends, to brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that we give that counsel to them. They've got to go do it. Let me just say this. I have no solution for you if you don't want to obey the Lord, except repent. That's the only solution I have. And you come in, and you're going to speak to your home fellowship leader. You're going to speak to one of the elders, one of the pastors, and you want to have you know, wisdom and insight on what to do with your problem. We're going to take you to the Word of God, and we're going to call you to be obedient. You may find that one of the first questions that we ask you when you come in is this. Are you willing to be completely obedient to the word of God, no matter what it says and what changes are going to be required of you from the word of God? Because if your answer is, well, I don't know about that, then there's no point in me hearing your problem. The conversation needs to be about the sufficiency and the authority of God's word in your life. So you're free to take that little bit of advice. I was, hurt, I was given it. And Talk because you can talk about the problems for you know 10 hours, but if there's not a willingness to be obedient at the end of the conversation, let me tell you, you just wasted your time. So you find out in the beginning, is there a willingness to be instructed and hear what the Lord has to say? The next thing we find in verse 21 is that he needed to delegate the workload. And this is an interesting thing because, you know, in delegation, you're handing something away. And I can guarantee you it's not going to be done the way you would have done it. So can, are you, can you handle it? Can you handle things to not be done the way you want? I, I'm not even saying it's not done as good as it should be done. I'm just saying it's not going to be done your way. You've got to hand it off. You've got to let other people put their hands on it. And if you come and you want to, you know, micromanage, if you're going to drop into that, you know, that meeting of 10, that meeting of 50, that meeting of 100,000, and you're going to say, no, not, not like that. No, like, no, you know what, just let me do it. The, you will frustrate the people around you, and they're not going to do it. Uh, my problem is probably I delegate, and then I move on to the next thing and don't maybe spend enough time administrating what has been delegated. So that would be, that would probably be my, I have an easy time delegating. Um, I just like, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. Because my mind is always thinking of the next thing. I'm always, I always have a plan that requires more 
labor and work. I'm always thinking uh, that that's kind of just how I'm wired. The Lord just puts thoughts in my mind. So I'm always looking to kind of, you know, jettison other responsibilities and let people, you know, go with it. So, you know, there's timing, there's plans, there's ways in which it's all got to happen. But that is what needs to happen. You've got to delegate. And he gives them one, two, three, four, five points. And we're going to end with kind of semi-conclusion with these five points. All right? Don't get too excited. So this is a pre-conclusion. Got to delegate the workload. Who does he delegate it to? Able men. Verse 21, he says, you shall select from among the people able men, gifted men, men that are capable for that specific task. You know, those that, get, that have the patience to hear, those that have a mind to know the word of God, those that could pass on what God wants in those circumstances and can speak to it. You need to find able men. I mean, nobody likes to be put into a job you're not gifted to do because nobody likes to fail. <laughs> Who likes to fail? Nobody likes to fail. So you got to find the right men for this job of, of administrating and, and hearing the, the, the court cases or the complaints that are going on. Able men. Secondly, you need to find men who fear God. They have a reverence and an awe for the Lord and how they live their life. And they have a reverence and an awe for God on how they should instruct others. You know, this is one of the things, I can, even in this very moment, as I am here teaching and instructing you and, and we hit hard topics, it's, it's very easy for me to talk about the hard topics. Do you want to know why? Because I fear God a lot more than I fear you or what other people are going to say. And, and it's like, well, you know, people may not like that. Yeah, they probably won't. I can guarantee you they won't. I know. However, that doesn't really move me. What moves me is the thought of not fearing God and answering to him and saying, yeah, I was afraid of their faces and what they would say and what they would do. Because you know, Lord, it's 2022 and people really aren't into those things anymore. I, you know, I'm not prepared to answer to the Lord for that. But I fear him. And so I want to... You know, be able to say, Lord, everything you gave in your word to say, I passed on and I instructed. So that you got to find men who fear God. You need to find men of truth, which is men who are honest. If they're going to be looking over the problems in people's lives that may, you know, um, you know deal with power, it may deal with finances, it may deal with property, you got to have honest men. And so it kind of, he puts it in the positive first and saying it's men of truth. And then the next point, it actually in the text, it becomes a negative one, hating covetousness. Now in my point, I kind of turned it around, made it positive again, content men. But it's, it's, it's the same point. They got to be honest and they got to be not covetous. Because if you have dishonest men that are covet, they're coveting other people's stuff, the judgments that they make over people's matters is not going to be a right one. It's going to be wrong. And so this is what we really hope we have in our judges throughout the land. But for the nation of Israel, it was to be 
um, these types of men. The, the last point is that there was a division of men, right? There's going to be the tens, there's going to be the hundred, uh, 50, there's going to be the hundred and a thousand. So the point is, I mean, from a very small level of just 10 people, you're going to find a person that you can quickly access and that can hear what's going on. And if it's an easy enough issue, they can immediately be dealt with on a very personal level. Then it kind of goes to the 50 and the 100 and 1,000. After the 1,000, if the, the guy who's hearing the problems over 1,000, if he can't solve it, then that's the kind of problem that was going to go before Moses and he would address it. So there was a distribution of the workload, a sharing of the workload, which meant Moses would not be burned out and the people could have peace because they're having their needs ministered to. And so this was the solution that was being given to them. Now, in verse 24 through 26, watch how quickly Moses implements this plan. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. He, I think he understood the wisdom of the Lord as he saw it. And so he chose out the, the, the division of men as was described. And so there was always there, verse 26, people to judge Hard cases were brought to him. All the small cases were held in those lower um, gatherings, those lower, lower courts, if you will. So the plan is immediately implemented, which means what? Moses was willing to hear wisdom and instruction when it was given to him. It speaks of his humility, that somebody could come in and, and could speak to him. What we don't hear Moses saying, excuse me, have you parted any Red Seas lately, Mr. Jethro? I don't think so. I think you're kind of out, out of line. Do you know what happens when I do this? You know, have you seen what I can do with this staff? I don't think you should be telling me what to do. But that kind of pride is, it's there. We've all seen it. Maybe you've seen it in yourself. It's always easier to see it in somebody else, right? But we have to be aware that we can be like that. When somebody comes to give you counsel and wisdom, what is your response? If it's from the Lord, and this was from the Lord, we need to heed the voice of that counsel and do all that they've told us to do. Whether they've parted the Red Sea or not. It's like, okay, that's wisdom from the Lord. We all have our gifts and our abilities to, to speak into other people's lives. So, secondly, um, he was tired and he was ready for the solution. Um, and then, again, still touching his humility, um, he was humble enough to delegate the authority out. He wasn't on a thing, hey, everything's got to pass through me. I'm the only one that can give the right answer. I'm the only one that can really tell people. I'm the only one that can really solve an issue. He was humble enough to realize that God raises up many people. And, and this, is, this is what happens. This is how we should be living our lives. So for you in ministry, as you are laboring and serving, pouring yourself out, even at times being tired out, but not burnout out or worn out because you're doing what God has called you to do and the power that he's given you to do it with, we need to realize that when the load becomes like, wow, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This thing has grown. The ministry has grown. Then you begin to find other people to press this down into. I heard somebody once say this, and I totally agree with it. Um, Delegating church work is the only thing that defies gravity. <laughs> you can press it down. It's like, I'm going to press this down. Okay, got the workers, got this there. Okay, good. That's done. And you go back to do what you, you were doing or plan to do with that free time. And you're going to look back and that thing is going to be right back up there again. 
So if you're a leader, let me just say this to you. Don't ever think you're finished delegating. If you think you're finished delegating, I promise you, you're going to be disappointed tomorrow. So you have to realize that the job of disciple making is never, ever, ever done. And I think this is what causes some people just to step out of ministry. Because like, well, I, you know, I just want it done. It's like mowing your yard. You're going to mow it next week too, right? And there'll be seasons where sometimes you mow it twice and there'll be other times where you, maybe you don't have to deal with it as much. But ministry is like that. You're going, you're going to have to deal with it again. So you delegate it. You walk away. And rather than saying, okay, now that's done. No, don't ever say that. Say, all right. Say, well, that's done for a little while. I need to be thinking about it and paying attention to it. And this is, this is what delegation looks like. And so verse 27, Jethro returns home. So I just want to close here and ask a couple of questions. Are you doing what God has called you to do? I'm not asking you to do what I want you to do. I mean, you can speak to the church and the staff and find out the areas of ministry, and we hope that you will, but we want each of you to follow and do what the Lord has called you to do. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you doing it in the strength that he supplies? You know, because you're going to get, it's above your pay grade. It's above your skill set, above all of ours. None of us are capable. What does the Apostle Paul say? You know, who is sufficient for these things? The answer, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Nobody is sufficient to do the work of building the kingdom of God. And yet God amazingly has put it in our hands. So how does he bridge the gap? He gives spiritual gifts. Not your natural talents. He gives spiritual gifts. And then he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do those specific tasks that he's called you to do. That is the formula for not burning out. You're still going to have to be poured out. And if the goal is to not be poured out, then you, you signed up for the wrong faith. Because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to die. And if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. You know, um, but if you lose your life, you're going to find it. This is the kingdom of God. But it's done in his power. So are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you doing it in the strength that he supplies? Um, what happens if the answer is yes and yes and you're feeling overwhelmed? Then you need to delegate. You need to raise up other people to help you get the work done. If you cannot do that and you're serving, then you know what? Call one of the pastors on staff here and ask them. We want to know. We want to help. We want to, to see you um, get involved in that. And then we must be committed enough to the work and wise enough to delegate it, right? So you got, you got to eventually pass it off. Well, you know, um, somebody said it to me after service. They said, if you, if you want it you know, done right, you got to do it yourself. Well, I don't know that that's true. If you want it done your way, she told me, she goes, if you want it done your way, you got to do it yourself. So we all have to be in that place where we're willing to have somebody lead and guide, and maybe it's not exactly the way we do it. And then when it comes time to delegate, you got to let people do it in a way that's still in agreement with Scripture, still fits the vision of the church, it still you know, fits the framework of all of those things, but then you just got to let it go. When I first began doing ministry, and although there was a lot of people that were serving in those early days, I still, there, there was, I can't think of many things around the church that I did not do. 
I was involved in, in, in everything because it was small. I was the one that was on staff full time. I'm the one that had the time to do it, you know. So I did the cleaning and, you know, at times. There was clean team, but, you know, still did it. I, I, I did sound. I, I, you know, was part of watching sound systems being installed and learning how to do it so that when nobody showed up that I could figure out how to turn the thing on and off. And I did the counseling and I was involved in, you know, uh, the real estates and the lease and the finances and I did it all and I'm not I wasn't I'm not complaining about it I was glad to do it um I did you know I did the the artwork I did the flyers I did the bulletin um you know I I did the youth ministry too for a while and I did the worship I actually I used to lead worship Rebecca and myself used to do that yeah you don't want to hear it just we did it you know <laughs> So I'm all working up to this point right here. We delegated it to you all, and you guys do it far better than we could have ever done it or did do it. And I mean that sincerely. I look around, and I look at the way in which ministry is being done now, and I'm like, boy, when I did it, it was just like, that was just barely, I was, that was like Band-Aid. Let's just put the Band-Aid on it. But God raised up you guys that are gifted and talented and, and skilled and called by the Lord to do it. And um, I am completely okay with it. But you do the same. Raise up other people and watch the Lord just continue to expand the ministry so we don't get burned out and people can go away in peace, having been ministered to in a beautiful way. But it takes all of us. If you're rusting out, get moving. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that speaks to our heart and life and uh, that you would allow us to touch anything in your kingdom. It's amazing. Lord, your kingdom's pretty special. You paid a high price to redeem the church, your bride. That you allow us to put our hands upon your kingdom is an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would just pour out the gifts of the Spirit. We pray you would pour out the power of your Holy Spirit and the wisdom to know the things that we are to do. And, Lord, if there are those that are just rusting out, I pray that you would get them moving. You begin to, you begin to uh, break the, the seizure of those gears, whatever is causing it, and that uh, we would lay our lives down for... Um, sake of our brothers and sisters and, and be poured out. Um, they are of such value, Lord, that they are deserving of having their interests be put ahead of our own. And Lord, you certainly are worthy of that, that kind of service and sacrifice from our life.